0: Listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. And this is the Warrior Priest Podcast Midweek Debrief number 31. And I am the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. I was watching a retrospective review of a video game entitled Bioshock this morning. It's one of my favorite video games that I've ever played. It's considered. Critically, is one of the best video games of all time. And in the video game, there is, within the context of the plot and the characters, there is a mantra. And that mantra is, man chooses, slaves obey. And it reminded me of, well, actually, <laughs> a lot of what I've been thinking about lately, specifically in relation to what's happening in our society right now as of September 2nd, 2020 in the United States, the rioting, the fighting, the murders, the civil and social unrest, the deep, deep philosophical, political, and ideological divide that exists amongst our citizens. And at the root of much of this conflict, is the question, are we given a choice or are we slaves that are compelled to obey? Do we have a choice about who represents us in our local, state, and federal government? Do we have a choice about what products we buy when we go to the grocery store? Do we have a choice about who our friends are? Do we have a choice about where we live, how we live, who we choose to live with or to live without? Do we have choices about how we treat ourselves, our bodies and our minds, what we put into our bodies or not? Do we have a choice or are we slaves? Have we been so indoctrinated that what we consider free choice is really a consequence of indoctrination. What we put into our bodies, what we feed into our mouths and into our eyes and into our ears has all been programmed for us. And we have been programmed for it. When we go to the grocery store, do we have a choice about what we will put in our shopping carts or have those choices been made for us by multinational conglomerates? Do we have a choice about who represents us or is the game rigged? We are given a choice to choose between one of two candidates that have been preordained by individuals and groups out of our control. Do we really have a choice? Do we have multiple choices or are we useful idiots, slaves that have been indoctrinated. We obey, we comply, we go along, but the whole time we believe that we're free to make our own choices. And in that sense then, are we grateful for what we have been given versus what we want to take for ourselves? Or is the anxiety, the discomfort, the agitation that exists in our society today a direct consequence of five or six generations of indoctrination? And that as a society, because of multiple factors, social media, mainstream media, the availability of information because of smartphones and tablets and laptops and the internet? Are we satisfied with what we are given? Or are we unsatisfied and there are just a lot of people right now who have decided to go out and take what previously has been forbidden them? Is it a a tale as old as time, forbidden fruit, the garden, the man and the woman, God's prohibition. You can eat of anything that you want in the garden, except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The man and the woman were not satisfied with what they had been given in the way of gift from God. And therefore, with a nudge from the serpent With a little temptation. Did God really say? Is that what God really meant when He said it? Surely God didn't mean. The woman reaches out and takes what was not given to her. And then the man takes what is offered to him by the woman. And their eyes are opened. And they see each other for the first time, all of themselves, that they are naked, that they are vulnerable and exposed. And they are afraid. And more importantly, they are ashamed. And this goes back in a roundabout way then, in my own crazy mixed up thoughts, to the conversation that I had this past weekend with Eamon's article about the death of the modern day warrior. Where does the warrior ethos originate? Where does it come from and Is knowing the roots of the warrior ethic helpful in the present tense? Does it allow us to go back and relearn what we've lost? And if we understand, if we comprehend the roots of this ethos, does that make it easier for us to choose a different path than the one that has been given to us in the present tense? Is it... Simpler, if we can trace the roots of the warrior class back to its roots in such a way that then we can hand that to our children and educate our children and show them there has been a warrior class and this is where it originated and this is how it grew and evolved and spread over the whole world and then this is how it devolved and this is why in the present tense it's vilified by the mainstream media and to politicians and social media. Does the ability to paint a broad picture, a broad vista of history, help us recapture this ethos? Or does it just frustrate us more? So I thought rather than read the Hagakuri today for the midweek debrief, I'd keep that for the weekend and do a series on that over the next three or four weekends and keep the Wednesday debriefs for more short get in, get out, hit and run kind of thoughts. So that being said, I'm going to go back to Stephen Pressfield's book, The Warrior Ethos, which is the reason this podcast exists in the first place. And the first part of The Warrior Ethos and the third meditation, which is entitled East of Eden, which goes to the point. Pressfield writes, where did The Warrior Ethos come from? Why would anyone choose this hard, dangerous life? What could be the philosophy behind such a choice? An answer may come from the Garden of Eden, which is an archetypal myth common to many cultures other than our own Judeo-Christian. God sets up Adam and Eve in paradise where all their needs are met without effort. But he warns them, don't go near that tree in the center of the garden. Of course they do the mother and father of the human race choose to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In other words, they choose to become human. They acquire a quality of consciousness that until now has been the possession of God alone. God kicks them out into the land of Nod, east of Eden. And here's the curse he lays upon Adam and Eve and by extension upon the human race forever. Henceforth shalt thou eat thy bread in the sweat of thy face. In other words, from now on, you humans have to work for a living. No more picking fruit for free from the trees. From now on, you have to hunt. You have to chase wild animals and kill them before they kill you. Adam and Eve become the primitive hunting band. The hunting band became the tribe and the tribe became the army. The warrior ethos evolved from the primary need of the spear-toting, rock-throwing, animal-skin-wearing, hunting band. The need to survive. This need could be met only collectively as a group working in unison. To bind the band together, an ethos evolved. A hunter's ethos. Every warrior virtue proceeds from this. Courage. Selflessness love of and loyalty to one's comrades, patience, self-command, the will to endure adversity. It all comes from the hunting band's need to survive. At a deeper level, the warrior ethos recognizes that each of us, as well, has enemies inside himself. Vices and weaknesses like envy and greed, laziness, selfishness, the capacity to lie and cheat and do harm to our brothers. The tenets of the warrior ethos direct inward, inspire us to contend against and defeat those enemies within our own hearts. And again, that is part three of section one, East of Eden by Stephen Pressfield in the book Warrior Ethos, which I highly recommend everyone buy. Man chooses, slaves obey. Man chooses, slaves obey. But what do we choose? What do we actually have the power to choose? What drives our choices? Perhaps that's not the right question, or at least not the primary question. What can we choose? I think the primary question should be, the root question should be, why? Why must we choose? What are we choosing? Sure, but why? What's the root motive for our choices? Why do we make the choices that we do, whether they are selfless or selfish? And I think Pressfield's on to something. I may disagree with his exegesis, (laughs) but that's my prerogative as a theologian of the church. But his root premise, I think, is right. Survival. We have to band together to survive. Together, we're strong. The band is strong. The tribe is strong. The army is strong when we stand together as a unity, as one. Marching as one. Breathing as one. Fighting as one. Divided, fragmented, scattered. We will not survive. The death of the tribe, the death of the army, the death of the nation is division, fragmentation from within. Why? Because we have to survive. We need to survive. We must hunt to survive, we must farm to survive. We must figure out how to live together and to work together, to play together and to fight together, or we will not survive. When it's a hunting band of five or six people, that is an imminent need. The need to band together, to survive, to work together, to survive. When the hunting band becomes the tribe and it expands to 50 or hundred people, that need to survive is still an imminent necessity. And therefore, every choice made by the tribe is the choice of whether or not they're going to survive now and the tribe will survive into the future. And even when that tribe becomes an army, a regiment, a brigade, It's still the need to band together to survive. Is it as imminent as it is for the hunting band and the tribe? Probably not. It's it's a larger entity. There's more pieces. There's more personalities. There's more organization that needs to be done. But the need to survive is still there, especially when you're in enemy territory. But then as a nation, well we've seen what's happened in the United States in the past five or six generations. As we have become more and more divided, more and more tribal. And yet, as we become more tribal, the need for to survive is there, and often an imminent need to survive is there. And yet, we're also part of a nation called the United States, and each of us lives in a state And then within that state, a county, and within that county, a town or a city or a village or a township. And in each of those cases, there will be these tribes, these people that band together to survive. Maybe they don't realize it at the moment, at the time. Why start an Alcoholics Anonymous group? Because my addiction is going to kill me. And I need to figure out how to live with it, I need to figure out how to survive. A women's shelter or a support group for uh, domestic violence and abuse victims. Why? Because we have to band together and we have to be able to rely on each other and strengthen and encourage each other and walk with each other and reassure each other so that we can live, so that we can survive the abuse. Why do we come together as a congregation? Why do we worship our God together as a congregation? Because we've come together, we've banded together in order to survive, to live, to worship our God who we believe gives us life, sets us about our vocations, sets us to caring for each other, a God of love and unity, a God of compassion, And forgiveness. But when that fragments, when that explodes, when it rots from the inside, when termites eat away at the foundation of what's been built, then it's because we've forgotten that we need each other in order to survive. We have to depend on each other to survive because there is an enemy. There's always an enemy. First and foremost, the enemy is us. The enemy is me. The truest, most malevolent, darkest of all enemies lies within my own heart. And if I don't look at myself, if I don't contend against myself and defeat the greatest enemy that I have ever known, then I will never be free to love my brothers. I will never be freed from envy and greed and laziness, from my own selfish desires and cravings, free from the capacity to lie and cheat and do harm to my brothers. If I can't conquer the enemy in my own heart, how can I stand with my brothers and fight the enemy out there? If I can't overcome myself, my own vices and weaknesses, how can I hope to overcome and defeat the enemy so that we all survive and thrive? I was thinking, as an aside, about what I would put on a t-shirt for the podcast once I get up to 200 downloads per podcast, 200 subscribers, and I promised I'd design a t-shirt and some stickers. How would I do that? I went to art school. I have a degree. I'm an artist. I'm a creative. But that's part of the problem is I have too many ideas, too many different t-shirts that I want to design. But what would I print on a t-shirt for the Warrior Priest podcast? Would it just say Warrior Priest podcast and leave it at that? Would it say I'm a member of the warrior priesthood, something corny like that. Would it just say warrior priest with a a symbol or an emblem or some art? What if I put words such as bravery or honor or integrity or courage? What would the words be that I would want to reflect the attitude, the personality of the podcast? So that when people see that t shirt, they can say, oh, okay. That's what that podcast is about. My coffee mug says, get after it. That's from Jocko Willink. And when you read it, well, one, that coffee cup's enormous. I could use it as a weapon. And then the font that's used, that military font, get after it, period. Black cup, white writing, big mug. It says a lot about the person that's holding it and drinking out of it. But I use that as an example in that when you adopt the warrior ethos, when you embrace it and you accept that this is not an easy life, it's hard, it's often dangerous for those who are law enforcement officers or soldiers. What's the philosophy behind that choice? Especially now. Why would anyone want to encourage their child, their son or daughter, to grow up and become a police officer? I know folks in the county sheriff's office, state troopers, people that work at the jail, at the courthouse, people that work at the jail, at the county jail. It's not easy work, especially nowadays. It's hard work. It's extremely dangerous work. Why would anyone encourage their children to grow up to become a law enforcement officer? What kind of a person encourages their son or daughter to grow up and join the military with the hope of fighting overseas in a war or, God forbid, here at home in a civil war? What's the philosophy behind that choice? Because I think that's a really important question nowadays, especially with all of the animosity and, well, let's be blunt, hatred That so many people have toward law enforcement, even towards first responders, even towards the military. And then how do you prepare your children for such hard, dangerous work and a hard, dangerous life? And do we take that seriously enough? I think of my own children. If my son said I want to go in the military or my daughter said I want to go into law enforcement, I think that's an honorable and a noble profession. I think it demands bravery and integrity and courage. So then how would I as a parent go about preparing them mentally or emotionally or even physically for what is going to confront them when they get to an age where they can pursue that? Or do I treat that lightly and I don't take it that seriously as a chopper goes flying by my window? if you heard that? We don't inculcate, we don't indoctrinate our children in the language, in the philosophies, in the activities of a warrior culture, because as we've discussed previously, that culture is a very small group of people. And even those that we might consider heroes, at least in my experience, they don't like to talk about that. They don't like being called heroes. They definitely don't want to discuss necessarily what got them or earned them that title and rightly so because more often than not it's the most horrific incident of their entire life we don't necessarily want to invite people to speak at high school graduations and ask hey can you recount the worst day of your entire life where your best friends were shot dead in front of you and you had to fight for your life And you had to beat a man to death with a rock? Why? Well, because he had to survive. He tried to get to his friends because he wanted them to survive. I'm talking about Dakota Meyer, for those of you who don't know, Into the Fire, another amazing book but yet heartbreaking. Don't go near that tree. And yet they did, and they ate, and they saw each other. And all of the consequences of that decision have been passed down generation after generation to the present tense. From that primitive hunting band that eventually became a tribe a tribe that became an army, an army that became a nation, on and on to the present tense. We need to survive. It's hardwired into us. It's called the survival instinct. And yet, as I discussed in the previous podcast, some people are born and they're hardwired to thrive in chaos. They are calm in a crisis. Most are not. Are people naturally courageous? I've met some who are. Some. But by and large, most people are not. Selfless? Nobody's selfless. That's something that is a constant effort. Love of and loyalty to one's comrades? Only through shared experiences. Only through struggle and affliction. Only through carrying each other picking each other up, dragging each other off the battlefield. Patience. I've learned patience by having the impatience beaten out of me by life. Self-command, that's an act of will. You have to strengthen your will. You have to put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable in order to push you past what you think is your breaking point. So that you can develop and strengthen your will to endure adversity. My children, this morning actually, I was asked, why do we have to go for a walk every morning? Because I want you to learn how to endure adversity, but you're a child. So I thought rather than making you run 200 miles, I would have you walk two miles And right now, they don't want to get out of bed. It's cooler now. It's starting to get towards fall. They don't like getting out of bed and immediately exercising. They'd rather laze around and have a cup of coffee or something. Yes, most of my children drink coffee in the morning. They love it. They don't want to get up and go walking, especially when it's cool and crisp out. They don't like going walking in the winter time. But we make them do it because it's good for them. It builds up their willpower. It teaches them self-command. It teaches them how to endure adversity at a child's level so that as they grow and we expose them to greater adversity, they're ready for it. They've prepared for it. But that all comes from the need to survive and as parents recognizing that we need to teach our children not just how to exist on this planet but how to survive and through survival how to live and enjoy life And at least in my opinion, and for us as parents, that means teaching our children that vices and weaknesses are unacceptable. If you recognize a weakness, if you have picked up a vice, that's not a self-fulfilling prophecy. It doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to become your identity. It doesn't have to destroy you. But you can check yourself. So we build them up and we teach them. And we expose them to uncomfortable situations and struggle and hardship that they can endure at their age so that when they encounter envy and greed and laziness and selfishness and lies and cheating and harm, they can recognize it and they can do something about it specifically in order to help others. Because if you can't address your own vices and weaknesses, how are you supposed to help others? And in our culture today, because it's not a warrior culture, vice and weakness is actually celebrated as a virtue and a strength. Cowards have been made into heroes. Liars, people who are selfish and lazy and greedy, are held up as examples that we're all supposed to follow. Those who harm their own brothers and sisters just to acquire more power and money are the people we vote for and expect to represent our will. But if we as a people don't even have a will collectively, then what exactly do we expect them to represent about us? I think it was Edward R. Murrow, the famous journalist, who said, oh, how did it go? A nation of sheep will beget a government of wolves. That's right. A nation of sheep will beget a government of wolves. When you don't have a warrior class within your culture, eventually wolves will be the shepherds of the flock. And we see that today. We see that at the federal and the state and the local level. We have wolves guarding the sheep. And the sheep have been so indoctrinated for five or six generations, that they actually thank the wolves for eating them. That is the very epitome of vice and weakness. That is the antithesis of a warrior ethos. We've lost our will as a people, in my opinion. And therefore... Courage and selflessness and loyalty to one's comrades, patience, self-command, enduring adversity. These are not things that are celebrated. These are things that are looked at, and then we turn away from it. We turn our noses up at it. We say, oh, well, that's that's an outlier, that's an extreme case, that individual does that. But I mean, that's not normal. They're abnormal. Well, at one time or another throughout human history, that was normal. Because people needed to survive. The band needed to survive. The tribe needed to survive. The army needed to defeat the enemy. But because so many refuse to fight and defeat the enemy in their own hearts and instead surrender to him. Because they won't confront the malevolence and the capacity for evil within themselves, as Jordan Peterson says, they eventually become the monsters. They become distorted and deformed. They become perverted. And then they seek to destroy everything that is good and beautiful and amazing about this world. And they think they can do it. They believe they can do it because they don't recognize that the very things that they're trying to destroy are necessary for their survival. Specifically and most importantly, their brothers and sisters. We don't see each other as brothers and sisters. We don't see each other as a part of one big family. We don't see ourselves tribally that way anymore because there's so many of us. We can get away with it until it's too late. So maybe, reflecting on Pressfield's meditation here, if we can just make the first move the first choice, actually, that we do have control. We do have the ability to make this choice, which is to confront ourselves and to contend with, to wrestle with, and fight and defeat the enemy in our own heart for the express purpose of being able to overcome our own weaknesses and vices so that we can love our brothers and sisters and see them as our brothers and sisters. That we can then encourage courage We can be a model of selflessness. We can show up for our comrades in arms. We can sit patiently and wait throughout the watch. We can control and command ourselves so that we can endure the struggle that's coming. We can endure adversity and affliction together. And then we can move as a body, as a united whole together against our enemy. And then we can call each other and hold each other to account for the bullshit that comes out of our own hearts so that we don't give in to weakness. We don't succumb and are overwhelmed and defeated by our vices. And we definitely don't celebrate them as virtues. We need to survive. It's hardwired into us. It's just that in my opinion right now, everybody's got a very unique definition of survival and a lot of those definitions are actually hyper-destructive and are the antithesis of survival. And I think it all comes back to not knowing why we do what we do. We don't understand why we need to survive and why we need other people in order to survive. And then even deeper than that, Without love, how can we overcome the enemy in our own hearts? I fight for the people that are at home waiting for me. I fight for the people that depend on me to stand up for them. I fight for all of those who can't fight for themselves. And so I don't I don't seek ways to to strengthen. And build up and nurture courage and selflessness and patience and self-command and all of that for myself. But rather, when I endure adversity and struggle and affliction, it's because I'm standing shoulder to shoulder with those whom I love and who I've declared my loyalty to. Because they have proven themselves worthy of that love and that loyalty. That's that agape love I was talking about in the last episode. True love does not have conditions. True love does not have limits or boundaries or measures. It simply loves, and that's enough. It loves all the way into death if necessary. It doesn't ask, well, am I ready to die for this person? It never asks. It simply does. And if that's the consequence of my actions for this person whom I love, then so be it. But better that I die today so that you can live, than that you die and I'm left to mourn you. Because the world is better with you in it. With me, eh, not so much. You need to survive, my love. You need to thrive and live. And therefore, what can I do to subdue and to defeat the vices and weaknesses in my own heart, to overcome the greatest enemy that I have ever known, the most dangerous opponent that I've ever faced off against, myself, how can I contend with and defeat him so that I can show up for you today? I don't know. It's something worth thinking about it though, especially nowadays. And it's a weight. It's a heavy weight. I've talked about that before and I've been feeling it more than ever the last couple of weeks. Is it hard work? Yes. Is it dangerous work? Yes. Is it, is it beautiful work? Yes. Is it the path to love? I think so. Greater love than this world has ever known. Or comprehended. Is it a choice? Yeah, it is actually. It is something that we do have the power to choose. To simply turn and to say, I refuse to go any further with this herd until I've confronted myself. And then maybe we do choose to go along with the herd, the flock, in order to defend the sheep against the wolves. Because that's really what's missing when we talk about the warrior culture, the warrior class, there's no lions. Who will guard the sheep? Who will protect the sheep from the wolves? Who the sheep have allowed to become their shepherds? Who thank the wolves when they devour the sheep? The warrior class are the lions that guard the flock. It's the lion who stands watch throughout the night. It's the lion who roars and attacks the wolves and scatters them when they seek to devour the sheep? The warrior ethos doesn't drive us away from the sheep, but rather it drives us to protect them out of love for them. Because they're sheep, and we see that they don't have anyone to protect or defend them. And for me, that's heartbreaking. And that's a that's a part of this conversation that I think often goes unspoken, which is that a lot of the weight that I feel anyways, and I've just talked about this with others who've felt similar weight, is that you serve without thanks, without recognition or reward or accolades. So then why do it? For the same reason that I would help my children serve in law enforcement or join the military. Love. Love. Jesus said that no greater love has a man than this, that he laid on his life for his friends. And in that moment, Jesus was talking about himself and going to the cross and being executed, not just for his disciples whom he called friends, but for the whole world. And from that example of love, we then turn to our friends, to our brothers and sisters and say to them in the words of our Savior, there is no greater love than I can show you, than that I lay down my life for you. Why the warrior class? For love, for you, for the sake of the flock, for the sake of survival for the sake of life. That's all I got for today. Thank you as always for listening, for sharing the podcast with others, for recommending it, for promoting it on social media. I truly appreciate it, all that you do. I'm humbled by it. I'm encouraged by it. And if these monologues help lighten your burden or encourage you to strive to be better than you thought you could be, If it's helped you in any way, great. That's all I hope for. So I will talk to you again this weekend. Take care of yourselves. Love each other. Love the people around you. Do what you can for them. And we'll talk to you again soon. Peace.